0: Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal.
1: You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast brought to you by Go Hunt and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Sign up today to become an insider at Gohunt.com. Two percent for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their community for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's (laughs) fishandwildlife.org. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. I hope that everyone enjoyed their Thanksgiving holiday with friends and family. Uh, and If you're fortunate enough, got to spend some time outdoors uh, in the process. Uh, welcome back to the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. Uh, today on the podcast, I am joined by John Sepp and Brittany Masters, and they are the co-owners and co-founders of Rome Free Bison Ranch in Montana. And <clears throat> this is a really cool story because... Uh, kind of on a, a quick side note, um, there's a, a separate podcast that I listen to pretty regularly and some of the recent guests on that podcast uh, have been ranchers um, either from Montana or Colorado and just the the ranching industry, the ranching business uh, is something that I, I know very little about. So <clears throat> when I scheduled the podcast with John and Brittany, I was super excited um, because it's something I've been listening to a lot. And to be able to kind of pick their brain um, and understand, you know, why a bison ranch and, you know, what their mission is and what their goal is. Um, And we talk a lot about uh, regenerative agriculture um, and the practices uh, that they use on the on the ranch there. And, you know, what exactly that means and how that is beneficial to the herd, to the land, um, to everything uh, involved in the entire process. Uh, we also get to talk about uh, John and Brittany's background uh, and how they cross paths and how uh, kind of from the outside looking in, it's, uh, I don't want to say an unusual pairing, but if you if you look at their backgrounds... Um, you know, prior to, uh, the ranch and really where they're at now. Um, it's, it's pretty interesting and it's pretty cool to see, uh, how they have come together, uh, and really have this thriving business there in Montana. Um, so really, uh, I, I ask a a ton of questions, um, because I'm super curious, as I mentioned about, you know, the whole process. Um, and I think that, That maybe there's a a misconception out there about, you know, what ranch life looks like. And, you know, I don't know that people really uh, value and appreciate, you know, all the work that, um, you know, whether it's a cattle ranch, a bison ranch, what have you, you know, uh, the importance of uh, that that part of kind of Americana, really. So, uh, episode 79 john and Brittany rome free bison ranch uh enjoy uh before that though i want to take a minute to tell you about wild rivers coffee and if you haven't had a chance to try wild rivers coffee by now come on guys let's let's get to it because you guys are really missing out on a stellar cup of coffee and supporting conservation in the process uh Wild Rivers Coffee—they're roasting in small batches so that they can ensure your coffee arrives at its peak freshness. Uh, wild Rivers Coffee is also a proud partner with Two Percent for Conservation, and they believe in preserving the wild places and wild things that bring all of us uh, a ton of joy. So that's why, with everything they sell, a portion of the proceeds are being donated back to conservation or- excuse me, conservation organizations that are near and dear to them.
2: <clears throat>
1: so head over to Wild Rivers Coffee Co com and get your fresh roasted beans. Uh, they have some really cool handmade mugs. The merchandise is awesome. I own both of their shirts. Uh, they have a ton of accessories for uh, you know brewing your coffee for pour over. Um, any any anything that you can need to kind of fulfill your your uh, coffee dreams, <laughs> I guess uh, they have. So definitely be sure to check them out. Uh, and while you're there, if you want, use the code. This is all caps fish underscore wildlife, and you're going to save 10% off your order. But now through December 21st, they are running a promo that if you spend $75 uh, or more, you are going to get a free bag of coffee of your choice on them. So all you have to do is add some stuff to your cart, uh, a couple, you know, t-shirt, couple bags of coffee, uh, whatever. Hit that $75 mark, and then add a bag of coffee to your cart, and then when you go to check out, it's going to show you that it's a free bag for their holiday promo. Now, the last thing you can do that, December 21st, to ensure that that coffee arrives to you before Christmas. So again, check out WildRiversCoffeeCo.com. All right, joining me on the podcast today, I have the owners of 2% certified Rome Free Bison Ranch, John Sepp and Brittany Masters. Guys, how are you?
2: Doing good. Good. Doing good on a Wednesday afternoon. <laughs>
1: yeah um with the time difference here um i had made a mistake obviously when i sent over the calendar invite uh and your colleague rick had, had reached out today uh so i mean it's you know almost nine o'clock here so don't mind me i i have certainly cracked a beer uh for this conversation so
2: we i i will match a beer with just a nice red wine <laughs> so there's, same
1: perfect perfect well Guys, we kind of talked about it before we started recording, and just, I'm really excited. You guys are the first ranch that's 2% certified, Uh, being a bison ranch, I mean, there's just a whole bunch of stuff that I I kind of really want to get into. Uh, I'm going to apologize ahead of time uh, if I seem to kind of go off the rails a little bit, just asking a lot of of questions, because it's all just uh, very new to me and very interesting to me, so uh, I'm certainly excited to speak.
2: Yeah, ask away. (laughs) We're happy to
1: answer anything. Awesome. So... I guess first let's just start with the business. So tell me exactly like what Rome Free Bison Ranch is and what it is that you guys do.
3: Yeah, so we are a um regenerative bison ranch. Uh right now we raise bison and then we process them into a variety of different uh value added meat products. So we have a jerky, a chili and a sous vide that we're coming out with. We have different meat snacks. Um Uh, and then we sell, uh, fresh and frozen meat as well, locally into some restaurants, things like that.
1: So did either of you grow up ranching? No, (laughs) no, neither of us did. Um, uh, I,
3: um, started the ranch before I met Brittany. Uh, I, my dad was in the military and so I grew up mostly in Norway uh, but when I was really young, we moved all over the United States and uh, I saw bison when I was really young, like four or five. And so when I got older, I'd always wanted to um, engage in raising them. And I thought at first it was just going to be a hobby, but later it turned into a commercial venture. And then I met Brittany and she's really the one that helped to accelerate our marketing and, uh, you know, build a voice for the business and, and. Together, that's where we built the value-added products that uh, we're bringing to market rather than just entertaining the ranching, you
1: know, portion venture of the business. So, Brittany, what was your path to, to get to Roam Free? Uh,
2: windy. I don't know. So, <laughs> um, really, I mean, I had uh, worked in brand marketing in the Seattle area for 10 years or so for a large um aviation manufacturer some people might know it (laughs) Um, but you know and I had worked with airlines and travel companies and um, you know I was just really into health so I didn't have a background in it but I was just a you know I was passionate about nutrition and where our food comes from and um, basically I I met John (laughs) and um, you know we we obviously started a relationship and and he was just at the time looking to sell his bison ranch and move to Seattle. And, you know, he didn't want to sell it. It was one of these things where he had done really all the hard work in building it, but was having trouble, um, getting his product to market in a like efficient way, especially with logistics around meat processing. And, um, and I was just looking for another opportunity to, to really dive into my passion of nutrition and, um, yeah, so basically, he told he took me out to Montana and said, like, before I sell it, let's go spend a you know weekend at the ranch. And um, I just I fell in love with Montana and this place. And you know, we realized like there's absolutely no way we're gonna let this dream go. And I basically decided to quit my job, and John decided to quit his other job and go full time into into bison ranching. Um, and, and that's how basically Rome Free was started was a business end of the ranch to really sell, sell products, um, in an effort to save the ranch.
1: So what is the time frame on this? So I guess first, John, when did you, you know, first start dabbling with bison on your own prior to meeting Brittany?
3: Yeah. So I started about nine years ago. Okay. Um, uh, uh I had served for nine years in the military prior to that. um, But that whole time had the plan that uh, I was going to leave my military career uh, to do this, to engage in this. And um, most of that plan just entailed saving money to start a ranch just requires a lot of cash input. So I saved most of that time through the military. And uh, so when I exited... um, I was able to uh find an affordable spot here in Montana. Um and so that's 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 the time frame and then about uh Five years after starting that is when I met Brittany, and so we've had the business
2: five years. Enjoying. Five years
3: now. So yeah, I guess it's been a total of ten years.
1: <laughs> okay, time
2: flies. Time flies. <laughs> <Yep>.
1: <laughs> well, I guess before we go any sir any further, excuse me, <clears throat> I forgot to mention earlier, but uh, you know certainly thank you for your service, uh, John, and the time that you spent in the military there.
3: Oh, yeah, no problem. It's my pleasure. I was spending all the tax dollars, so it was totally my pleasure. Yeah.
1: So I guess kind of take me through the process of, you know, once, uh, Brittany, once you got involved, um, you know, with the ranch, you know, what that transition looked like or how you were kind of able to help get things to market a little bit better. uh, Because, John, as you mentioned, um, you know, the process uh, or the just the whole process of uh, getting the meat to market, uh, to you know, however the case is. I mean, how difficult was that or what does that process look like, I guess?
2: Yeah, I mean so <clears throat> really John had done all of the hard work. <laughs> so Bill you know, selecting a property, saving I and mean, he, he lived on a on a flight line in a trailer for nine years just to be able to afford the down payment for a piece of land and, you know, had built a house, a barn and, and fenced the entire property by hand, got the bison out here, had a corral system built and, you know, thought that really the selling and the marketing end of it would come naturally. It would be really easy. Uh, but when you start with such a few amount of animals, which is, you know, we started with only nine animals, um, you go to a restaurant and they want maybe a tenderloin, a New York, a ribeye basically 15% of the animal, um, is really highly valued. And then what do you do with the rest of the animals and how do you get enough cash flow to be able to buy more so you can get more tenderloins and New Yorks and ribeyes. And, um, you know, so when, when I, when we, we talked about it, he had, John had been making, um, you know jerky on the side a, a, a bit and um, had had a few recipes and I had been tra- primarily my my job I spent traveling 50 75 percent of my time internationally in places where I didn't really trust the meat <laughs> sources there or didn't know what what could possibly be in the food I was eating and so I was making my own jerky and bringing it with me basically. Um, And so we sort of put our heads together and came up with a product that used the whole animal. So for small business or small ranchers that are selling direct to market, whole carcass utilization is sort of the buzzword (laughs) that we throw around, but it's basically making the best use of the entire animal um, so that you can afford to buy more and keep going and so we came up with the chopped and formed product that used the majority of, of the animal. And that's, and it also, as, as a jerky product, it have a 12-month shelf life, really gave us enough kind of leeway to be able to, to brand our product and, and get to market efficiently. Um, and then from there is, is once we had that under control, is where we started branching out with these new products. Um, but we had to sort of lay the groundwork first
1: yeah i mean that's <clears throat> that makes complete sense like as you kind of laid out like that right like you have obviously the prime cuts of um of the bison uh that everyone's gonna want uh you know but you still have this very very large animal with a lot of uh very edible um good meat right so what yeah. do what do you do with it um and yeah kind of the route that you took so uh john you kind of listed them off uh, earlier but i forgot i didn't quite get them written down so you have jerky uh what else do you guys have
3: yeah we have uh so we have uh chopped and formed jerky a whole uh muscle jerky product which is a totally different way of fabricating jerky it's more traditional style um so we view that as a separate <laughs> product line sorry that was our dog <laughs> it's we've right. got uh we have um uh bison chili? Bison, yeah bison chili and then a stew product which is um you know potatoes carrots and uh, bison meat in a sous vide mix which is essentially just a way of cooking meat right where you, you're you're familiar with what it is it's really a way of cooking meat for wild game and so it's perfect for bison
2: yeah and all so a lot of this product these products are being launched real time so we actually launched the chili and the stew in january january 7th actually so but uh premature but It'll be exciting. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, that 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 certainly is exciting. So <clears throat> I guess John, you know, starting the ranch, you so uh you Brittany, you mentioned that he had started with 9 uh nine bison. What are you guys up to now?
3: Uh this spring we'll turn over about 200 Wow. Um, and then we just acquired, uh, we're working on building up a, um, another property uh, to finish the bison on. It's an irrigated uh, pasture where we can probably finish about a, a hundred more yearlings coming two-year-olds. So, um, you know, we'll end up purchasing a second seed herd to put into there this coming spring. Um, and then uh, we're always looking at trying to get more leases on top of that.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I've, I've, like I said, I, I'm, I'm gonna kind of go off course here. I just have a ton of questions. So, one, you, you mentioned it earlier uh, that you guys are a regenerative, regenerative uh, ranch, or you, you have regenerative practices. I've heard that before. Um, I don't exact. I, I have an idea what it means. Um, but instead of me trying to kind of ask, oh, is this what it is, and, and being completely off base. <laughs> why don't yeah. you kind of tell me like what that is, because it seems to be uh, a practice that I'm seeing more and more um, in ranching.
3: Yeah, it's a, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot to it. But to put it simply, you know, the the concept is you are improving the ground that you're ranching on year over. And what that looks like is building topsoil, which increases the amount of grass, which increases your moisture retention on it has a lot of beneficial effects and the way that you uh, accomplish that with large remnants is, uh, you know, meaning bison is you sell graze them or you graze them in, in uh, um, based on bloom cycles of grasses. You know, we have different elevations on the ranch. We have all these different pastures that we've built. Uh, you build Tons of fence, you know, across the ranch, we've got over 120 miles of fence that we built, um, to contain them in this system, uh, and you move them pasture to pasture to fresh grass to enact the way bison once were moved by wolves and, um, Really, what that does over a long period of time is allows grass to recover, but activate its emergency system that causes its roots to spread out and you get more over every year. And um, the process of doing that, really, to put it even more simply, was, you know, pre settlement of the central part of the United States, bison were moved around by wolves and tribal hunters and seasonalities and all that movement and the way that bison herd together in a very tight group created all that topsoil that all the corn and wheat and everything is grown on in the United States. It's the fertility of all the soil in North America was created by bison. And so you're just building up an intensive grazing system on a ranch to mimic that.
1: Okay. That's, Actually makes complete sense. So, mm-hmm. like from a, a grazing standpoint, like and you know moving them from from pasture to pasture, like what is how long is that is that like phase? I like, let's say you know if they're called pasture A before they you know move on to pasture B, right? Like what like is yep. it like a couple of days or a couple of weeks?
3: That is a great question. It completely varies depending on grass type, the water available. Uh, you know, different grasses grow at different elevations. So your elevation, like the whole ranch has more than a couple thousand feet difference in elevation just across one of the main ranches. And depending on all of that, we carefully structure our pastures based on our local, you know, topography and grass structure to rotate them. So some they're longer, some they're in a couple weeks, some they're only in three days. Some they might be in a month, you know, and if it's over winter time and your, your grass is lignifying and dying, going dead, you know, you might want to spread them out more. Or if they're calving, sometimes they're going to want to spread out. And so you don't necessarily want to have them so close together. You want to allow them to have space to naturally spread out like they would. So you're going to put them into a bigger pasture for that period of time. So it really depends on the time of year. But on average, I'd say you're looking at about a week per pasture is what we try to aim for on average but of course totally depending where you're at in the year on that
1: yeah wow and to, i mean that's uh i mean i i've heard a lot of people talk about it right like ranching is a 24 7 365 job right like there's no i don't feel like getting out of bed this morning i don't feel good right like the the bison need to eat or they need to be moved around like it seems like there's always something to do. Um, how is it that, you, I guess, you, you got so deep into it, right? I mean, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, as a young kid, you always had a, a kind of a fascination with them and you wanted to get involved with them. I mean, I guess, how do you go from nine to, you know, to over 200 heads in, in really such a short amount of time, in my opinion? Well, they breed, so they make. <laughs> well, <laughs> That's one way. but
3: really, you know, the answer to that is I was fascinated with the animal first. I just love them. I love the shape of them. I liked their history as I got older. I mean, I'm still very fascinated with just how it came to be. You know, we went from tens of millions to less than 300 to now we're back to about 200,000 in, in just the United States and you know it's a major comeback story everybody likes that um but uh you know how did we get so into all of this and the regenerative part of it was really when i first started my lack of experience and all this money i had saved led me to buy a very unproductive piece of dry pasture land and um you know it was in a gulch we live you know the road that runs through the ranches. Wilkes Gulch, you know, it's not a good spot. And so I'm not gonna say I was duped, but I just um, I didn't know better. And so when you're starting, you just don't know what you don't know. You know, I didn't have generational knowledge to rely on. And so you just think open space, ground, you know, now, of course, we look much more carefully at everything that we buy and lease and move everything on. But uh, I realized very quickly that I'd run out of room and really run out of grass on the property. The first property I bought was just 240 acres. And, uh, you know, uh, so I just, that felt like a lot then, you know, and that probably sounds like a lot to somebody, but that's not a lot of ground and not a lot for this area of Montana and what you're really going to want for bison. So when I first put them out there, I had no interior fencing. I kind of had no plan. I was just trying to go for like zoo containment, you know, I built the (laughs) Jurassic Park release the animals and, you know, hopefully it all goes okay. (laughs) And so I was just trying to keep them in with step one because I was also learning animal husbandry, how do they work, you know, what is their seasonality and how does their behavior change in that? Um, But ultimately, you know, the reality of needing to make the ranch work and make money uh, came into play. And so, you know, as you learn those things, you look for how do you optimize you know, how do you have greater efficiency? And really, um, I was at a conference a long time ago, and some they didn't call it regenerative agriculture at the time. It was there's so many different names: holistic management, or you know, that was really what it was called then. And you know, before that, it was rotational grazing. But as as time has moved forward, they keep calling it something new, but really, it's the same concept, just with tighter and tighter pasture grouping, right? And technology and fencing and things improves that allows us to do that. Yeah. And so I was, you know, when somebody says, hey, I can get thirty percent better pasture utilization, meaning you can fit 30% more animals on your pasture if you do this. Well, I had time to do that and I needed to do it because I needed to survive uh when I heard that. And so um I invested a lot of uh my time and learning a lot of those concepts are early on and so that eventually led into what people now call regenerative which is just in my opinion uh, a slightly more complex version of that where you're not just you know you're, you're you're you take all those same concepts of rotational grazing but you're trying to apply as much science and insight as you possibly can and that's still developing you know and ecologists are still learning new things about the environment and grass and animal interaction every day and so as those things come about we're trying to adapt all of those uh you know theories and and lessons into what it is that we're doing and you try it and you see if it works or not but it takes you time to do that and so <clears throat> so that's how that's how we got into it um and so we've just been practicing that intensively since pretty much the, the beginning and when i met Brittany, was really when we went big um i i had 240 acres we had built this value-added product you know we um took a huge step back and pretty much just locked ourselves in and only dealt with the with the animals that we had for six months we built this brand we built a product and we launched it um we, Traveled all around the United States promoting it. And before we knew it, within about a month, we were completely sold out. So, you know, then we had the problem of we knew how to optimize ground. We knew how to make it efficient. But now we needed more animals to build more product so we could build the business. And uh, that was the point where we sought larger leases. And that's really where the ranch took off. And that was five years ago. And so um, that's when we made the jump from 240 acres to then we jumped up to, uh, 10,000 acres. And then we jumped to 13,000 then 14,000. And recently we lost a big lease, but you know, it just kept snowballing and building into more land and more animals and more fencing really is what it was. So,
1: yeah, I mean, that's, that's certainly a jump. Uh, from 240 acres to, you know, 10,000, um, that, I mean, just to try to quantify that amount of land in my head is just, it's, it's, it's really incredible. I mean, and obviously when you think about a, a herd of 200 bison and, you know, uh, moving from pasture to pasture, uh, every, you know, five, seven, maybe 10, 14 days. I mean, you need all that space, right? You need to have uh, the room um, available to allow that to to be effective.
3: Yeah. And especially here, I mean, just dryland pasture in general, you, you want more ground. I mean, and we, we do more than just trying to optimize what's already there. You know, really our ultimate goal is, um, you know, to really be regenerative is to encourage native grass to grow back um and uh just meaning grasses that bison and their rumen naturally do well on and that naturally benefit the landscape so you can grow more interspersed grass you have higher um, you know efficiencies and environmentally of course that's much better as well so if somebody looks at it from that angle it's good from all angles and and the the protein complex that it creates in an animal and in bison in my opinion when they eat it it makes it taste better I don't know about the health of it but I could assume that if an animal is you know eating what they're supposed to be, Uh, You know, their version of a whole food diet, it's going to make them healthier as well. So and thus you too, you know, if you're eating it. So that's really what we work towards. Ultimately, in our regenerative process is trying to transplant a lot of work that a lot of people did with the USDA and the government uh, around, you know, World War Two. Uh, We had a a huge program to transplant grass in the United States and even pre-World War II. But really, that was where a lot of the, you know, we're trying to cut corners to feed protein to people. And you could sacrifice that by, you know, in a very simplistic way, exchanging grass seed that overtook native grasses, turning over soil and allowing the stalk and stem of the grass to have, you know, you plant grasses that are not native to the United States that grow up higher in the stalk and stem and less in the root. Whereas native grasses grow much deeper in the root and they have very short, usually they're shorter grasses. Um, And that big transplant that happened in the United States has is, is, good, I think, if you're raising cows and trying to transplant that and you need a grass that sticks above snow in the winter. And there's all sorts of benefits that you can gain from that. But our opinion is that's a short-term gain. We're looking at the long-term goal. And so we try to, um, whether it be through reseeding or there's ways that you can graze out a lot of those uh, non-domestic grasses during the year, we try to target that. And and force those grasses down to encourage native grass growth again. And ultimately it makes your ranch more drought resistant, the bison do better and the health of the consumer
1: goes up. Yeah. So what is the, I guess the call it the life cycle of, you know, from the time, uh, you receive a bison till like the harvesting. I mean, what is, what does a mature bison look like for you guys?
3: Um, a grass-fed bison is going to grow much slower than if you're feeding it um, uh, other uh, – or, or cow or really any animals. They're just going to grow slower than if you're feeding it a compressed starch and like a grain. Um, and so typically a 30-month animal is prime, what we consider prime. But the way that we built our products, we don't require prime animals. Um, and so we can really – use an animal of any age in there. And so um, at at some point, the bones start to outgrow the additional muscle that the animal can gain in its lifetime. I mean, bison can live to be 30 years old or, or more sometimes, but there's a happy medium in there of toughness and a whole bunch of, you know, different qualifying factors that would, you know, based on, you know, its gender or You know, maybe some of its health history, those types of things that help us make the decision on what really we want to use in a
1: product. Yeah. So, Brittany, obviously you kind of came in uh, or you met John, you know, five years uh, into uh, this endeavor for him. So, how difficult was it for you to kind of catch up uh, from a, you know, just a sheer knowledge standpoint (laughs) of the animal and the practices and all that stuff, um, you know, to, you know, really feel comfortable, um, you know, with, you know, with the business?
2: I'm still catching up. (laughs) I'm still (laughs) learning stuff from John every single day. I mean, John, if you, if you spend any time with us, you know, John is a details guy. He loves history and really diving into the details. And, um, you know, he's a electrical engineer by trade from his education. So he's just really analytical. And I'm more top line, (laughs) you know, uh, working on the marketing and the creative aspects. And, um, you know, I like to, to sort of try to get the simple answer. And sometimes it's just not simple. <laughs> you know, there's a, it's really dynamic. And I think that was my biggest uh, misconception about ranching when I came into it, that it's, it, you know, ranching, it's a simple life, right? It should be really easy and you just uh, feed and water and, and harvest and it's just anything but that it's really, really um, dynamic and, and always changing. And there's, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of science behind, um, you know, just what we do in practice. So,
1: yeah, so what does a typical day look like for you guys? I mean, if you have 10,000 acres, I mean, I've got to imagine that just putting in fence is a, is you, you have to have like a full-time crew just to keep up with that, right?
2: It's a full-time crew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's basically from what do you, when the snow melts to when the ground freezes, John and his crew are putting in new fence um, and then the other months they're repairing the fence <laughs> yeah. from elk or deer or, you know, other animals that have, that have crossed it.
3: Yeah. And keeping a map of, you know, over a hundred miles of fence and it's all electric fence. So, you know, we try to build circuits, uh, which it's unusual to build that much electric fence um, for any ranch, but you know, it's a lot of work to keep all those circuits up. Um, we run a simultaneous hot and ground system on our fence. You know, it's a five wire. And so what that really means is if you have a tree fall on it or an elk crosses it or a deer gets tangled in it or something happens and and you have a short in the fence, that one short over all those miles, depending on how many chargers you have in there, can take down anywhere from four to 20 miles of fence at a time. And so we're always kind of on alert, trying to stay on it. It is like Jurassic Park, you know. <laughs> except they're not dinosaurs. The, you know that part sometimes gets exaggerated with bison. You know, um, they are aggressive animals, but you know they 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 will find out if your fence is off. They're so smart, and uh, and so it's just a constant game of cat and mouse chasing shorts in the fence to keep it up. So we spend a lot of time doing that, and of course building new fence. We have a full time fencing. Crew and operation business that we've built just to sustain this business so we run that in tandem um and we'll run up we'll have anywhere from four to 12 hands working just on the fence crew full time um from spring till till winter
1: so how many uh how many do you employ there at the ranch i guess just you know total uh it's
3: totally seasonal but um you know, we'll have, we, we have a lot of volunteers actually that come out, people that are interested either in learning the regenerative part or the ranching part or fencing or bison. So that usually makes up about half our crew. Um, and then the other half are, you know, paid skilled hands. And, um, so, you know, uh, this summer, I think we had nine people out there, maybe 10, nine or 10 people full-time. Um, but it kind of, you know, waxes and wanes with, with the seasons. Winter is slower it's more sustainment and you need people that have that map in their head that know how to get to all the fence that we build um where we're building is in very very difficult areas you you wouldn't normally be building electric fence you know it's either very steep or rocky through trees um you know across streams those types of things those can be very difficult areas to build through but then also maintain so we really rely heavily on our, um, skilled hands to keep, you know, keep that map and keep those fences up. And if you haven't built it, it is just a maze. He will get lost. And it's very hard to hand that map over to anybody. Uh, <laughs> even, even if I draw it. So, yeah.
1: so I guess, what would you say, you know, throughout this entire process, right? So, you know, the, the 10 years that you've been involved with bison involved with ranching, you know, is there anything that you look back over your time and you kind of say to yourself, I wish I would have done this differently, you know, knowing what I know now, or do you think, you know, it's, everything happens for a reason, you know, something, you know, something happens, whether it's good or bad, you know, you learn from it, you move on but is there, you know, anything you would have done differently?
3: Um, uh, Background checks on volunteers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But other than that, I mean, I, I've uh, really enjoyed the ups and downs. Everything is difficult, but you learn something out of everything you do. Um, you know, I feel like everything that we've done has built either a good story or good character or something in us. And so I don't regret, you know, the struggle along the way. And I think the struggle makes for a more authentic product and, and you connect better with consumers and, you know, people recognize that you can't fake that and uh that struggle is i think what people romanticize but you know about ranching and um it's a privilege to get to live that uh in some senses but you know then other times you don't say that when you're cussing and it's negative 40 and you know (laughs) you have 20 miles of fence to walk through in the snow because when you really are
1: struggling yeah so,
3: yeah, I mean, you, it's easy to say that now sitting in the house talking to you, but, you know, it's just it ebbs and flows and uh, it's it's what you choose. And uh, I don't know, I wouldn't choose anything different now that we've done that and we've made it through it. It's very rewarding, um, but we certainly wanted to quit many times along the way. And changing all that at the beginning, I don't think would have you wouldn't develop the skill set to fix all the stuff and make it operate like it does now. You couldn't operate a huge network of fence if you didn't learn all those little details along the way.
1: Yeah. And I'd have to imagine that, you know, uh, a company or not a company, but uh, an occupation, a a lifestyle of a rancher. And what we talked about earlier with, you know, really no days off. I mean, that hardens a person to the point where I got to imagine it's going to take a whole hell of a lot to, to get either of you guys to, to quit anything. Right, I mean, I don't care if it's you know going out for a run, doing some push-ups, uh, you know, whatever the case is, right? Whatever you want to uh, kind of embark on, like, I can't really imagine either one of you guys having that that mindset that oh, this is hard. I, I think I'm just going to stop now.
2: We are all in. Yeah, <laughs> we've never been more all in yes. on anything. I mean, it is not. There's no going backwards for us, um, and we've, you know, we've been in the thick of it. Feeling like we're going to lose it all, you know, over silly mistakes, and 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 we'll do anything to keep this to keep this moving forward. Yeah. Um,
1: so, is there a lot of other um, bison ranches that are you know that have like this same or that are practicing uh, the regenerative uh, feeding?
3: There, there are. Definitely, you know, yeah. I think it really depends on. How far somebody gets into that to say how deep into the weeds do you want to be before you call it alternative? <laughs> but I think I like to say it this way: bison in general, when you compare them as a species, and I and this is not to get down on beef producers. Everybody struggles in the snow here, so <laughs> yeah. I respect everybody that ranches, and even if you choose to have a feedlot, I have respect for those people too. You know, it's a lifestyle, and they're doing what they want to do and what they think is right, and I, I. I think that's a great part about being in this country and the freedom to choose what you want. So take all that, <laughs> and and when I say with what I say next, which is, in general, my opinion is bison in themselves as a species are regenerative. If you go out and you look at a field of bison and you look at a field of cows next to them, right, which is really where people make the comparison, right? Um, cows are tend to be very spread out. Right. You could have uh, you could look at a thousand acre pasture and they'd be pretty much unless there's water in there and it's a hot day. They're going to be pretty well evenly distributed across that pasture. Now, if you go and you look at bison in that same pasture, um, generally, they're going to be grouped in a very tight little tiny group. And we build all that fencing to mimic wolves keeping them close by them wanting to move as a group to have like protection against predators um but even if you didn't build all that fencing to go over the top to the next level you're still going to naturally have a regenerative effect on land with bison and uh uh, that's nobody can argue with that was the animal that built all the topsoil with those natural instincts, that natural wild instinct is what built all that soil with those movements and the way that they group together, and so, um, uh, that's. I hope that answers that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. They're naturally
2: regenerative. Yeah,
3: they're just naturally regenerative. I mean, you can so- be
2: more regenerative. There's always yeah. there's always things you can do to improve and be you know more regenerative, if you will, or sequester more carbon. But at the end of the day. Um, Bison are pretty, pretty much the keystone species of the prairie, and they they help keep you know it true to what it is.
3: Yeah, and it's not to say you can't do that with cows. A lot of people have, have regenerative beef ranches, and so they do the same thing. They just have to build more fence or they work harder to keep them groups together. To um, really, it's that grouping uh, at a very high level that allows you to have that effect on grass and land.
1: So this is uh i'm curious to, to hear your your opinion your guys's opinion on this so if the the bison hadn't went through what they went through in terms of um you know the market hunting and all that and the you know entire population like you said john getting down to you know less than 300 at one point
2: mm-hmm. what do you
1: think that would have potentially done for you know agriculture uh across the country uh you know if the if that that population that was here early on had been, you know, even, you know, half as sustained as, as unfortunate, you know, as what it was uh, when, with the market hunting and everything. I mean, what would that have done Would that? Just have created, you know, more farmable land and soil. I mean, what, what's, what's kind of your opinion on that? Well, I have two opinions. (laughs)
3: You can't undo what's already been done. So it's almost, it's hard to think about that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But say, we had a magic wand, and it and it was that way. First off, you, everybody and their mother, and every minivan on the highway would be getting in an accident every day. They, <laughs> they don't move for anything, you know. They, uh, they are, you know. There's a lot of controversy just in Montana, even about you know people saying like wild bison herds should be allowed to roam out. Well, I, it's actually not a super great idea. You're going to have a lot of destruction and disaster for. A way of infrastructure and the way people have just built fences even for beef ranches or highways have been built or uh cities or towns you know you would have a very hard time trying to let bison around that infrastructure exist now as is now could had you gone back and your infrastructure was totally looked different and it was all bison proofed if you will you know and brought that forward over the last hundred years then maybe you could have had a system but they require a lot of range to move about and you know, they naturally migrate, they chase a green wave that comes out. They have natural uh, corridors that they would go to for breeding grounds where that you'd have a big Northern and a Southern herd and they'd meet up really here in Montana and a lot of genetic exchange would happen. And that was super important. And then they kind of split up and go their separate ways as the seasons changed, it would be so hard to have our country around that. Now, would it, if I could make it that way, would it be that way? I think it would be awesome to see what that would look like, but I just don't think it's practical. Um, it's just not practical to have that and be a leading efficient nation in the world with our highway network and everything set up. So um the best thing that we can do now is to, try to preserve what we have and improve on the pastures that are existing, keeping those open. I think that's really the battle that we're facing now. And it doesn't matter if you have bison or beef or anything, really you're facing, you know, what Europe faced a long time ago is just people spreading out because of COVID moving to rural areas, thinking they want two chickens and a goat and chopping up these heritage ranches that have been protected for a long time you know since settlement of you know colonization to the united states and uh you know you uh that that's the battle that we're facing now you know if you want to look at it from a conservation or what we like to call a preservation standpoint that i think is brass tacks where there needs to be action taken to do the best with what we have and to stop to slow that process because it's inevitable, you know, it will happen. People want to spread out and that's happened significantly and as we've seen in the last two years, just in Montana here, everybody moved here amidst COVID and it land prices have shot up. It's, it's a disaster, you know, uh, not just for ranchers, but in a lot of different ways.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny you mentioned that, uh, because I was, when you were telling me how, you know, you where you started at, you know, nine years ago excuse me, 10 years ago, um, with your first, you know, 240 acres, um, like imagine trying to buy 240 acres now. I mean, it's just, it's it's crazy to think what that would cost you now in comparison. I mean, obviously there's inflation and everything that to account for just regularly, but um, yeah, the, the real estate market, like you said, in Montana, I think in a lot of those kind of Western states, Montana, Wyoming, uh, down to Colorado, like it's just, it's through the roof.
3: Yeah
2: it's a massive problem i mean it's not you know for the next generation of ranchers or farmers access to stable secure land is few and far between there's just it just doesn't exist like it used to and so it's a real big concern for the future of our food security for the future the future of open space and recreation and wildlife and you know i don't i don't know how many people know like how serious it is because We in North America have, you know, the prairie is the most diverse ecosystem that we have. And it's only second to the Serengeti. So it's the number two most diverse ecosystem in the world. And we only have 1% of it left.
1: That's it. That's that's crazy. crazy
2: if we don't protect it and and we decide to build a large hotel or uh, an amusement park or whatever it is in terms of development over it, it's lost and, and you can't get it back. Um, and so, you know, part of our mission is preservation of what exists today. And, that, that, and part of that preservation is only intact today because of ranchers, ranchers that have stewarded that land for the last hundred plus years. And so you know, with, without those people, we wouldn't have open space and we wouldn't have hunting and we wouldn't have the type of recreation and specifically in Montana that we do today. So,
1: yeah. So that's kind of like a a perfect segue, right. To, to get into the conservation side of things. Um, we mentioned it or I mentioned it before, but you know, uh, Rome Free is the only 2% certified ranch um, that there is. So, how is it that you guys first even learned about 2%? Um,
2: I learned about it from a girl, a hunter we follow on Instagram, <laughs> old fashioned way, social media. <laughs> um, it's a beautiful Jessie thing sometimes. Johnson. Yeah, Jessie Johnson's her name, and we had just sent her some product to try, and you know, we we follow conservation hunters a lot. Um, I just feel like we are aligned in a lot of our, um, you know, goals for wildlife and conservation. And she said, well, You should reach out because um, I think you guys are already doing it, <laughs> you know. And so that's pretty much how we learned about you. And then, you know, things quickly went from there.
1: Yeah. Jessie is an absolute rock star. We had, I had her on the podcast uh, maybe six months ago uh but yeah she is just she's a total badass and she was uh super awesome to have on so no that's definitely uh, whatever she's saying I would I, me personally I would certainly be listening
2: <laughs> yeah
1: so <clears throat> what are some of the organizations that that you guys are working with that you're giving back to
2: a lot of so most of the the work that we do is right here locally in Hot Springs Montana so we um the whole project that we've been, we've taken on over the last four years is to take over conventionally raised um, operations, whether it's leasing it or purchasing it and convert it to a regenerative operation. And, and the biggest part of that, that we've started with is building wildlife friendly fencing and um, the entire boundary of that property. So, whereas most, you know, operations, especially with bison, may put up really tall fence that would restrict migration corridors of elk and deer we actually build fence for it to come down (laughs) instead of you know stand up to to wildlife so um all of our work is around building that that fence and then repairing it when the elk do migrate across it And that's really the biggest project we have.
3: Yeah, that's the biggest one. We Brittany also serves on the board of a a, a organization called Western Sustainability Exchange. I'm on the board of the Montana Bison Association. Um, You know, those are uh, uh, in their own way uh, local programs here that uh, we work through. To Western Sustainability Exchange is all about making ranchers profitable to preserve open space for. Uh, wildlife, really. wildlife, hunters, recreation, etc. Just keeping Montana the way it is. But they, you know, their their whole organization is about how to keep ranchers on the land, uh, because they realize that's who's stewarding it. And when you have that, it's a good system when everybody shares in it. So, um, you know, we sh- share our ideas in that as well. Uh, we. on a lot of workshops here at the ranch for people that want to get started in regenerative agriculture and or bison we host so many people with that um and but really our our cash expenditure mainly is in in a very large section of fence um out here uh and where we're at in a very sensitive area between missoula and kalispell so
1: yeah, and that's I know the uh, kind of that whole topic that that you just that you guys just talked about there with with fencing and how it is a big problem for uh, a lot of animals in their you know uh, their migration corridor you know going from their summer to their winter range. Um, we I had some guests on uh, a while back where they they did this massive fence pull um, somewhere along the lines of like 10 miles a year they were pulling or repairing uh, old fence that were uh, essentially hindering uh, antelope uh, from their corridor because for whatever reason antelope won't jump over a fence they try to go under it get stuck and it's a whole a whole issue so the fact that you guys have you know, really taking that entire issue into consideration on, you know, the thousands of, of acres that, that you guys are, you know, branching on, I, it, it's incredible. I mean, that's, that's just such a, uh, a thing to be very aware of. And all the while knowing that, you know, there's going to be other animals on, you know, on your grounds, on your property, uh, but making it as conducive for them to be able to, you know, pass through freely. Um, is, is awesome. And it's absolutely the right thing to do.
2: Yeah. It's not always the most economical, (laughs) but it is the right thing to do. I mean, it is, a, you know, and and like John said, I mean, it's not something that we say, everybody, you know, everybody needs to do this or, or else, but it is something where we, we truly feel, especially in this area, you know, we'll have 400 elk on the property at any given time and sometimes more, um, it's important that they can still get back and forth and and that we work with you know the native species i mean the the whole concept of roam free really started from a way to bring back native species and so working with the ones that are already here i mean it just it, i'm not even sure we had a conversation with about it it was just like well that's what that's obviously what we're going to do yeah so yeah
1: so what is i guess uh, let's say, you know, maybe like the, the three to five year goal, uh, with Rome, with Rome free. And the fact that, you know, you've recently, uh, you know, earlier this year, you know, launched some, some of your other products. I mean, what is, what is kind of in store for the company, for the ranch?
3: Well, the, for the ranch side, um, I can, you, if you want to talk about the food side, Talk sure. about the ranch side you know we're always trying to grow the ranch so we are always looking for new leases which becomes more difficult of course every year and and what we're just currently facing in the the local environment here um so we're just trying to grow that uh land base out and continue to do that the more we do that the more security we have and the more is preserved and time is of the essence you know it's just always a race against the clock to try to lock up more and more and more, um, in a good way, lock up in a good way. Yeah. That's really our goal. And of course, growing out the herd on that, swapping out all the fences, that is just a huge amount of work, um, to continue that. And if all we do is just continue the trajectory of what we're doing, we will be very happy with that. Mm -hmm. So, um, every little bit more that we can find, we just, we keep building that way.
2: We want to be in a position when ranchers around us decide to sell their property that we can be financially able to either purchase it or lease it um, in a situation that makes sense for them. So that the only other option that they have is to sell it for economic development or some sort of build that, that they have another option, that there's a rancher willing to take over their third or fourth generation ranch and, and preserve the heritage there. And, you know, for us, it's just setting ourselves up to be able to do that. Um, On the food business, you know, we're really just trying to um, stay true to sort of the values of the brand originally, which is just to make healthy food for people (laughs) Um, and not, you know, with that, bison is obviously one of the most nutrient-dense proteins on the planet. It has all these other, you know, really big benefits and making sure that we don't, you know, change that as we put it into different products. So keeping the integrity of the product there. Um, and, you know, cause some, somebody did ask me the other day, like, you know, what would you do if somebody offered you, you know, a buyout on Rome free, like the food business? And I was like, I mean, John would just buy a bigger ranch. <laughs> 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 same, same damn thing. So, you know, I mean, that's the whole point of the food business was really to be able to save the ranch and, and now it's to, to grow the ranch and be able to, to, to just impact more land and. And, and more wildlife. So more of the same.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, and that's, Brittany, you made a really good point there that, you know, as time goes on, and you're able to grow bigger, and, you know, build relationships with, you know, kind of surrounding um, ranches, that it, it's likely that there's, you know, going to come a, come a time where they may look Uh, maybe there's no one in the family that wants to you know be the next generation uh, to run the ranch and you know they're they're left with a hard decision right Um, to be able to to keep you know land that's you know been in their family for you know generations uh, that while it may not be in their family but to to keep that land doing uh, what it's been doing for so many years um, is a great thing and you know I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said just preserving that land for, you know, generations and generations to come and not putting up, you know, another Whole Foods or Target or whatever the case is.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's all sorts of competing interests for land. Um, You know, some of the things you named, it could be timber, it could be mining, it could be, you know, a, a religion that wants to create, you know, a retreat out here. I mean, there's all sorts (laughs) of different crazy things that happen um, and can compete for land. And we're just trying to make sure that ranching is a viable option, um, you know, for the future.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. So just a few more things uh, before I let you guys get out of here and, and enjoy your evenings do you guys even like have a chance or or really an opportunity to kind of enjoy yourselves outside of the ranch? I mean, do you guys get to to do any hunting or fishing or or anything like that? I mean, gosh, you're, you're in Montana, right? Right. Right.
2: (laughs) Well, not yet. It depends what
3: your version of enjoyment is. And you said hunting and fishing. Mm -hmm. So the answer is yes, we're doing that every day. I mean, uh, it, do I get away and go out and go elk hunting? I really don't. I'm so super saturated in being outside 24 seven all day, every day, and really hunting the bison. I mean, every day is a hunt to just go find the herd and make sure they're in, you know, <laughs> and then, of course, you know, we run hunts out here and sometimes I am hunting them through. So, uh, yes, we do a lot of that. We fish, we do that all the time whenever we can after work, but, Brittany would have a different <laughs> <laughs> what fun is uh if it's going shopping, we don't do that a lot, so
2: yeah, yeah, no big Hawaii vacations anytime soon, yep <laughs> yeah,
1: Brittany, how was that for you making that transition from you know Seattle right to yeah. to kind of rural montana,
2: yeah, i mean i was I was ready. To do something different. I was going to move to like somewhere warm, you know, maybe a beach, maybe (laughs) get some, you know, maybe Austin, Texas, who knows? I was, you know, that was the, that was the goal. And I just had no idea what, um, montana had to offer and i don't want to talk about it too much because i don't want everybody moving here but yeah <laughs> <laughs> but, but honestly i i've never felt more grateful to be in a place in my entire life i mean especially with everything that's going on in the world and um all of the the change that's happened over the last couple of years i mean i i truly do wake up every day and i feel grateful for the situation and and just where i am um but I didn't know, you know, I really, it was a leap of faith. I'll be honest. Um, and good thing it worked out.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes the biggest risks offer the biggest rewards. And it's, it certainly sounds like, uh, this has paid off for, you know, for both of you.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So real quick, um, I can't let you guys get out of here without asking, uh, where can people find your products?
2: Oh yeah, so our website is um com, and that's primarily where we where we sell all of our products. Um you can find our bison bites at all natural grocers starting in January, which is very exciting, and then you can find our chili and stew products in Costco starting in January in the Pacific Northwest.
1: Ah you had me until you said wow. Pacific Northwest.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well where where are you located?
1: I'm in Michigan. So I'm a mm-hmm. I'm like a lifetime away.
2: Darn. Well, natural grocers is uh where where you'll find our, our bison and bites. And always online. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, that's what I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to resort to that and that's okay.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> you well You never know. A couple it was a couple years. They got Costco's in Michigan.
1: Yeah they do. Yes they do. <laughs> um Well, I guess, you know, any closing thoughts, um, you know, before you guys get out of here?
2: You know, we're just, we're really excited to be part of the 2% conservation crew. And I was shocked that we were the only ranch. (laughs) I was really, really shocked just because a lot of ranchers are just naturally doing conservation without calling it conservation and so if anything you know to to reach out maybe i'll reach out to some of our ranching friends and and let them know but um i mean i honestly think that anybody doing a pasture-raised operation is part of uh, conservation in some way and and ranchers are really the 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 last man standing out here <laughs> in order to keep keep open space and and wildlife available to everyone so um just wanting to you know let everyone else know about it so
1: yeah very well said well john Brittany, thank you so much for your time this evening i greatly appreciated it uh i i appreciate you answering all of my questions however mundane they may have been just because you deal with that stuff on a daily basis uh you know what you guys have built there uh is really really cool uh, and i'm certainly excited to kind of see uh where the ranch goes in the future
3: yeah thank you we are too and thank you for this opportunity
1: yeah absolutely well hopefully uh, we can get you guys on again and um, you know hear about maybe some new stuff that you have offering or, or how much uh the ranch has grown since uh since today
2: yeah, yeah awesome
1: sounds good all right you guys take care okay thank
3: you Thanks. you too.
1: All right. Well, thank you again to John and Brittany for uh, joining me on the podcast today. I would also like to thank the partners of the podcast that helped make this possible Wild Rivers Coffee, Stone Glacier, and Go Hunt, as well as 2% for Conservation. Uh, please go out and support the companies that support this podcast and help make it possible. Uh, and if you'd like to learn more about Two Percent for Conservation, you can look. You can visit their website fishandwildlife.org, and there you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to follow Two Percent on social media, where they where they are going to post only uh, positive conservation-driven uh, content in your feed. So you'll certainly uh, enjoy the daily dose of positivity uh, from them. So again, if you'd like to learn more about Two Percent for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org Thanks for joining me this week everyone Stay tuned next week for another, another episode and remember to stay safe out there and that conservation starts with you